I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. Tracy L. Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I'm so happy to welcome you to the show today. We've got a great show lined up for you. I'm really delighted and humbled that so many people are listening to the show um, live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. And we're picking up listeners um, in the Blueberry and Stitcher channels also, uh, also as well. So thank you for tuning in. I'm, I'm really grateful and I hope you're enjoying the show because I am. I created this show to support those brave souls who operate outside the structures of the big established corporations, or some people who are in the big corporations but are thinking for themselves anyways, because I think in some ways that's even harder. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Something I've been thinking about in my own work and meditation, and I'm just putting it out there again. I've been saying it for the last few shows, and that's this. Every spiritual act is an act of defiance in a materialistic world. And, um, and I mean, true spirituality is an act of defiance. And, uh, and that means generosity, tolerance, kindness, patience, love. Um, so in a materialistic world, these are revolutionary behaviors and concepts. So please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers, and the chat room's open. So if you have a question and you're listening, you know, type it in. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest who's going to be coming on. You can reach me at tracy at tracylflatten.com, and tracy is spelled T-R-A-C-I. Uh, Also, I want to let you know that these podcasts are available on Blueberry and on Stitcher, as well as on the iTunes podcast channel. Lots of ways to listen. And Blueberry and Stitcher and the iTunes podcast channel are great because they don't have as many ads. Um, In the coming weeks, we've got some great guests coming on. I have a very fluid schedule this summer because I'm doing some traveling and my guests are doing some traveling. So you'll just have to keep checking the website to find out who will be on the show. I'm so delighted and honored today to have yoga teacher and life coach Kat Whitney on the show. Tapping 25 years of parenting, teaching, and coaching in the trenches of suburban Boston, 
Cat Whitney is now a powerful resource in Berkshire County in the wild, fabulous, and often hilarious quest for personal true north. A yoga teacher, yoga teacher, teacher trainer, and certified life coach, Cat uses a comprehensive wellness platform to help clients create meaning and happiness in their lives, coaching them into their full potential as empowered celebrants of a rapidly changing world. A longtime yoga instructor and practitioner, Kat's vigorous yoga classes balance human challenge, creating a safe, fun, and effective environment for all learners. I'm going to interrupt her bio to say I took her classes in the Berkshires, and they were amazing. So um, they really are great classes. Her instruction style is infused with practical spirituality and clear directives to help navigate yoga practice safely. With multiple yoga and coaching certifications and an, uh, it looks like a master's of education from Harvard, Kat's experience, warmth, and commitment help her students align to their true potential. You can find out more at Kat at www.dharmacoach.com, and that's D-H-A-R-M-A coach.com. Kat, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tracy. It's so nice to be here with you and everybody. I'm so happy you're, you're on. Um, as I mentioned uh, when I was first reading your bio, I took your classes, took two of your classes in the Berkshires, and they were just so amazing. Um, and two things in particular stood out. One was some alignment cues you gave on shins and inner thighs, and the other thing was you read some uh, a quote from the Radiant Sutras, and it was just beautiful. Yeah, the um, universal principles of alignment have been a revelation for me, too. Um, I, I found them in my uh, midway through my yoga practice, and they, they just make everything easy and safe and get you into crazy postures if that's what you want to do. Um, they're, they're quite amazing. They're, they're based on Iyengar's work and then the work of John Friend um, and Anyasara Yoga. And uh, although I've done a lot of different um, trainings over many decades, those really spoke to me about eight years ago, and I've been teaching them ever since, and it's been wonderful. Um, and, of course, Lauren Roche's translations of the Radiant Sutras are just, Incredible. That was also something I bumped into at about the same time. So interesting. There's this wonderful poet, um, a French poet named Tessa Sylvester. She spends her name, spells her name T-E-S-A. And I was, I was at an event where she was reciting the Radiant Sutras by heart in oh. this gorgeous voice, in this wow. absolutely stunning French-accented voice, these beautiful, sensual, beautiful, evocative um, phrases and I just I fell in I fell in love with them and it turned out that that as we're going to talk about today um, they're a beautiful um, documentation of the tantra um, from from this very uh, beautiful source and so those the combination of those two things about eight eight or nine years ago were sort of the double whammy that brought me you know brought me to the teaching that I'm doing now. I'm so glad you enjoyed the class. I'm so glad you came in. <laughs> they were fun. Uh, I just felt so open. So I'm going to go to my usual opening question for my guests because it situates listeners into who you are and what you're about. And then we'll come back to the Radiant Sutras because I want to talk about them more. But that this is about you. So how did you begin your journey? What has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be involved with yoga and life coaching? Was yoga a major presence in your home when you were growing up? 
what did you think you would be? I mean, in yoga class, you said you used to be an English teacher at one point. So start with your childhood. Talk about your childhood. Lead up till now. I know this is a big question, so do whatever you want with it, and I will keep pace. It's, it's a big question, but I'll, I'll do my best. Um, I'll do my best. To say the least, I was not born into a yoga household. That is, that's really, uh, really funny. Um, I'm actually from, from old Puritan stock, and um, my family is among the most, uh, I think the, the polite term is original settlers of the North American continent that were not native to the continent. We came over early with Protestant roots, and um, a very work hard, nose to the grindstone, and please, please make every effort not to have any fun possible kind of background. <laughs> you know, um, um, I, I love our, wasp. Uh, I love the wasp. Yes, don't you love it? Yeah, Cotton Mather is our power animal. You know, so <laughs> there we are. Um, and. Uh, um, my parents were, you know, they kind of moved in the universalist, unitarian um, psych- circles for a while in terms of spirituality. And, and when we got there, I started to realize that early on, um, I didn't realize it, but I was really a, a tantrika very early on. I was a seeker, a sannyasin, and uh, the, the great tantric sage Abhinava wrote um, sort of a... a a cure for not being able to find just the right thing or just the right teacher. He said, be like a bee to a flower and flit from blossom to blossom, taking the sweetest nectar from each. And in that way, you slowly find your path. And that, that was something that was happening for me as early as seven or eight. So, um, when I was about 10, we moved, uh, we moved from uh, one area of Massachusetts to another, and there was a very dynamic rector there, very liberal in the Episcopal Church. So I started to pursue um, some, some community there, some sangha, some community of practice there, and I actually became very involved in the Episcopal Church um, as, as an acolyte, as a member of the choir. I loved the music. I loved the ritual. And that was all well and good. And I was doing that on my own. My parents at that point had totally dropped out of the uh, religious or spiritual scene. So I was sort of walking myself down the the street to church every day and and thinking, but all the while thinking, yeah, there's some interesting stuff here, but what about this and what about that? And I just couldn't believe I was uh, lucky enough to grow up in the country. And Tracy, I had access to ocean and woods, and I would ride my pony for hours through the woods, and just everything natural to me was just a huge miracle. And wow. uh, an aware, awareness of animals, an awareness of birds, of, of learning how to identify birds by their calls and by their silhouettes in the sky. And I could not believe for one minute that the guy who had created all of that was the same white guy with a long beard in a black robe sending us all to hell if we didn't behave. It just didn't mm-hmm. make any sense to me, even as a little girl. So I had, I had my doubts back then. And when I went off to college, I went off to undergraduate um, work. I, uh, I majored in English and in literature, and I um, kind of did the greatest hits of philosophy, sort of, you know, Kant and Kierkegaard and Plato and, and those guys. And, and I was taking I was taking 
this stuff very much out of the canon, just pretty much like how the old white guys had been talking about it for a really long time. I was sort of taking them at their word. And then every now and then I'd pipe up and I'd say, what about this and what about that? And, and in that criticism, it just didn't fit. Those questions didn't fit. So there was another piece there about, huh, this, this is, there's, there's got to be something more to this. There's got to be something, you know, there's something else here that no one is really talking about. And I want to kind of interject here that um, one of the modern scholars of, of Tantra has said that there's this, this interesting paradigm in the pursuit of, of, of um, Tantric philosophy, and he, and he calls it the Clark Kent Superman paradigm. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of, you find yourself kind of Clark Kent living in your society, living in your culture like a normal person, but there's this sort of underground other thing with superpowers, this, this curiosity, this investigation, this helping outedness that is kind of like Superman. And that, that's very much how it is. It's just at that point, there were a lot of questions for me. I was living in the culture. I was wearing my, you know, I was wearing my tree torns and my, and my Lily Pulitzer, and I was studying hard and doing all that stuff. But I was also, I was also really curious about um, these questions that were remaining unanswered for me. Mm-hmm. And and so after un, after undergraduate school, I I did some I did some new age exploration. I'm um, I actually did est. I'm not, I'm old enough to have done est before it was the you form, know, before it was everything else. I think there are some great things about est. Like I, when people are late, I always I didn't do est, but I've read about it and heard people talk. I had a friend who did it when we were in college, and he told me about it. And whenever people are late, I always look at them and think, okay, how are you saying fuck you? Because I do believe that constantly being late is a way of doing that. Uh, I don't know if it yeah. always is, because, but I do, I do know some people who are always late, and they're, I can tell oh, they're it's angry. it's a huge passive-aggressive ego thing, for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. It is. And, and Est was an incredible eye-opening. I, had, I, I got kind of brought to my knees that way, but it also told me something else, that, that taking a, an ax to somebody and bringing them to their knees is not necessarily the only way or the best way to bring somebody to awareness. So it was a really right. good contrast for me. It was very harsh and very cult-like and... Um, to be perfectly honest. And so it wasn't something I could stick with, but again, I got the sweetest nectar from it. It was an understanding that, that, what's that? I I found the same thing. I went to the Barbara Brennan school of healing and I found very similar things. There was a harshness and underlying harshness and anyone who tried to speak about it was told that they were in resistance. So there was a lot of acting out by the teachers and by the school that was completely unacknowledged. And when the students tried to say something like, this isn't right, you're, you're bringing people to their knees harshly, that's not necessary and not okay. They were just told they were in resistance. Um, so I know exactly well, yeah, what you and mean. In, in look, yeah, and looking back at that, it was a wonderful example of what is dogma and what is dharma. You know, what is a didactic cult-like uh, hammer and what is a path of one of many, a truth. A dharma, you know, it's it, mm-hmm. so it was all good. It's sweet nectar, but it, it so it was a, just a, it was another. I got some really interesting information about ego and exactly what you're talking about, but it kind of wasn't 
for me. And, and um, as I left that, I was offered a teaching position in Jerusalem. And cool. I had the un- unbelievable, there was a thousand wonderful things about that experience. Um, one of which I was teaching in a mixed school in Baca, which is a integrated neighborhood in, uh, in Jerusalem. Um, and I was the neutral Christian who was teaching Jewish and Islamic kids English in a, at a junior high school level. And somehow there I got adopted. I'm not even quite sure. I can't even remember how it happened exactly, but I got adopted by this wonderful group of liberal observant um, young Jewish kids about the same age as I was. And I was invited as sort of the, uh, the, to- the token goyim to come and study with them for a year. So wow. I ended up reading, yeah, I ended up reading um, what I knew as the Old Testament, as the book of Genesis, what they know as the first book of Moses, Bereshit. I read the entire first book in Hebrew and learned to read Hebrew, studying wow. in a Beit Midrash with these wonderful, wonderful people. It was just an incredible thing. And I learned a couple of things that were really seminal. First of all, I didn't know it at the time, but learning to read Hebrew live on the spot gave me some tools that would allow me to study Sanskrit later. And the second thing is I learned a lot about translation, that little niggling thing that was in the back of my mind that I told you about when I was an undergrad reading these translations in literature, reading these interpretations and this criticism, here was, here was a totally different interpretation of the words that I had known. It's, Bereshit bara Adonai, in the beginning was source. Not in the beginning mm-hmm. there was the word and the word was good. That's not mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Those aren't the words. Here was this whole other way of looking at at a text with which I was so familiar, the Bible, completely differently. We were parsing every word. We were looking at every symbol. It was a very amazing, amazing year. And the generosity of this, of this sangha, this community of practice of, of um, Jewish scholars was just unbelievable, this, this incredible generosity. So um, ironically or not, I came home from there and got another teaching job for the Archdiocese of Boston, the Catholic Archdiocese of Boston. And that was an eye-opener because, of course, this was just prior to the great and terrible scandal of child abuse um, and sexual misconduct on the part of the Archdiocese. And I was in full witness of all of that. Um, I was actually a department chair in a a school that ended up closing teaching history and, and English there as one of the few lay teachers. Again, you know, uh, uh, there I was as, as uh, not only sipping the nectar, but also being the Clark Kent in the culture really as Superman. I'm, I'm the outsider once again in this, in this circle of, of, um, of the, at this time it was at the high school level, in this circle of teachers coming from the outside as a lay teacher in, in a, a religious organization, um, a fascinating and tragic experience um, uh, from which I went to graduate school and uh, was happily accepted at Harvard. 
Now, something wonderful and fortuitous happened to me at Harvard. Besides the fact that I got to study with the most incredible professors in the education um, community, my work study, just by chance, ended up being um, starting and doing the clinical research on a, in a neurobio lab at Harvard. So oh, I got wow. this, all this, wonderful, this wonderful exposure to neurology and neurobiology in a study that has now since become the longest-running study on ADD and ADHD. And, oh, my. Uh, and, and starting to really see how energy and ego and neurosynapses and biology, how this all starts to intersect at the educational level, at the philosophical level, at the spiritual level. It was just a brilliant time for me. Um, and... Uh, studying also in the ed school with people like Howard Gardner who wrote the theory of multiple intelligences that, you know, there are many, many ways to be intelligent, not just these single ways of passing an IQ test. Studying with Sarah Lightfoot Lawrence and understanding the power of diversity, why, why we need to be diverse because at one point, you know, one of the most interesting things about biology is at root in our DNA, we all had, every single human on the planet had one African mother. That's how narrow it got down to. Mm. We all share the same DNA. That's how dangerously close we came to extinction. And so studying with her about the power of diversity, the necessity of diversity was amazing. Studying with Carol Gilligan, who wrote a seminal book called In a Different Voice, that started to speak to me about why women's voices are different. Uh, The first time I ever heard the phrase, the divine feminine, this is all percolating along. And I'm not, I'm I'm not quite 26 years old with all of this going on. So it was just a fascinating, fascinating time. And uh, I returned to teaching again and and again, obtained a, a departmentship chair and, and, and that was great. And, and we still haven't gotten to the yoga part yet. But no, very keep shortly, going. Fascinating. Uh, very shortly thereafter, um, I uh, I got married and and uh, and about two years into into our marriage, we were very very happy to find ourselves pregnant, and I found myself surprisingly in a very high risk pregnancy, and that high risk pregnancy was one of the best things that has ever happened to me in life, first of all, because I have the most gorgeous daughter who is a yogini and a dancer and the most incredible young woman spiritually in every other way, but also because I had a very good, um, a very good medical team, people that I had known actually from the study who said, you need to do yoga to keep this high risk pregnancy in check. Mm-hmm. And so I took my, my very first yoga class. And oh, wow. that was 20, 25 years ago now. And there, that one, that diagnosis. So when we think about, oh, you know, this, this terrible thing has happened. I have a high-risk pregnancy. No, 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 no. Everything is always working out for us. It would, it would be the thing that would change my life most completely and become the focus of my life for, you know, the next half of my life. So um, good, a good result, a good result, beautiful baby um, girl, and I practiced yoga. And at this point, I was just a practitioner. 
and as as she got busy, I was practicing a little less, and it was you know I was kind of doing what everybody does at the beginning of their yoga practice, kind of trying this out, trying that out, practicing for a little bit, not going back for a couple of weeks, then practicing. I, I see that now that I've been a teacher for these many years, um, mm-hmm. that that's a very common start to the yoga practice. Um, but with my second, with my second child, happily getting um, pregnant a second time, and uh, another very high-risk pregnancy, um, really practicing in earnest from that point on, and after that baby was born, I had some pretty severe uh, health issues, um, which for a bunch of, you know, long and drawn out and not too interesting reasons couldn't be treated um, well conventionally without, um, without me actually having worse side effects than, than the actual what was going on. I ended up going um, out to study with Bikram Chaudhary, and here's what I want to say about how we start to see the Tantra starting to really emerge in my life because Bikram Chaudhary is a very controversial figure in, mm-hmm. in, in yoga. He is um, currently on trial for sexual assault and um, all kinds of craziness has gone, gone on in, in, his, in the Yoga College of India. Um, he's lost his family at this point and there's a lot of pressure on him. But I want to tell you that he is re- very much responsible for healing me deeply from some pretty serious stuff, training me to be a yoga teacher, being a very fatherly and wonderful person. Bikram grew up as an orphan in the orphanage of Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he grew up in a very spiritual way, but ha- you know has a lot of um, needs and emptinesses that he's filled in different ways. But but what's amazing is I ended up training with him, healing completely after some pretty scary stuff, um, hairy, hairy, scary uh, health stuff, ended up healing completely. And at the end of the training, he said, you have to go and teach where, uh, where they hang the witches. You have to go back to, mm-hmm. to where you came from. So back I, back I went. And um, in that lineage of Paramahansa Yogananda, so that's where I started in my teaching career in, 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 that, in that lineage. And uh, I started teaching from that day. And the first week, I think I taught 14 classes. My goodness, that's <laughs> a lot. As soon as I got back. And I've been teaching ever since. And that was 17 years ago. So that kind of... Um, brings us there. My first tra- training was a Bikram um, tra- training. My second training was I went uh, all the way through level three with um, Baron Baptiste. Um, I studied with Diane Ducharme. I studied with Dharma Mitra. I studied with a wonderful young teacher named David Magone, who teaches something called Pranavayu Yoga. And he, int- he introduced me to Lama Mi'kmaq Tenson. Um, while I was at the Bikram training, I met the Dalai Lama for the very first time uh, by wow. a, a, another, long, a lo- another long and fun story there. But he was ex- has been uh, a very influential teacher since 2000. I met Lama Mi'kmaq in, in 2008. So, you know, kind of playing around the edges of the Dzogchen Buddhist, um, Tibetan Buddhist uh, Dharma. 
and um, and then and then as I mentioned before, kind of stumbling into the work of John Friend and Anya Sara and a, a wonderful young teacher named Mark Saint Pierre, who taught me the universal principles of alignment. Um, and all along, studying, 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 um, studying Sanskrit, reading the sutras in Sanskrit, which is very different than le- reading translations. There's so much that gets to uh, to be interpreted. There's so much mm. where we, we see our lens and our biases as we go in, and interpret these texts. And, um, and then a really, really seminal um, change for me that happened fairly recently in 2014. A wonderful friend gave me an incredible book, and I'm going to say this slowly so that people can write it down. It's called, it's called The Tantra Illuminated the philosophy, history, and practice of a timeless tradition, Tantra Illuminated. And it's written by a genius guy named Christopher D. Wallace, who was an Oxford University classical scholar and, is, and has his PhD in Sanskrit from UCLA, Berkeley. Mm. And it's really the first truly accessible, fully readable, and um, meticulously translated and interpreted version of the Tantra that there's really ever been ever, which is, uh, a, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big uh, statement, but claim. I'm going to stand, yeah. I, I'm going to stand by it. He doesn't make this claim, but I will make the claim. Having read in the meantime, all kinds of sort of woo woo, wishy washy, um, kind of translated, largely interpreted Western tantric um, stuff that that is popular and sexy and you know uh, a lot of I think a lot of Hollywood stars were kind of rallying around those kinds of translations but they really aren't accurate or valid and this is a very readable um, book that that it's 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 good size Tracy you gotta you gotta be willing to sit down for a couple of years and it, it'll blow your mind. That's what's really fun about it. You can just read a little piece of it and um, sit with it for a couple of days and then keep reading. It's really, really fun. So All right, I'm that, gonna kind of gets ask, us, that kind of gets guess, us up to date. Okay, well, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play. I have a 30-second commercial, okay? Hey, okay? Hang on. Great. When you find an author you love, you read everything they publish. International best-selling author Tracy L. Slatton is one of those writers. Her book Immortal is a rags-to-riches-to-burnt-at-the-stake story of an orphan boy in Renaissance Florence. Broken is the story of a fallen angel in Nazi-occupied Paris and her award-winning romantic paranormal dystopian after-book series. Also, her bittersweet sci-fi romantic comedy The Love of My Other Life. Read one and you will be hooked. Find all of her books at TracyLSlatton.com. Kat, are you there? I'm Kat? here, Tracy. Wow, I great! Our, I, I know what I know what I'm reading this summer. <laughs> Good to hear. Well, you started talking about the tantra and the West and how the West has misunderstood tantra. Um, so go ahead and talk about that. Well, the 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 tantra that we're basing our quote tantra experience, popular tantric experience on is really, it's something called Shaivist Tantra. And I'm just going to quote from Christopher Wallace, 
none of the scriptural sources of Shaiva Tantra teach a sexual ritual or sexual technique of any kind. Boom. How about that? So wow. It's That's so, pretty definitive. It, yeah, it's, it's pretty definitive. There's one in, in, the, in the Brahma Yamala. There's, a, there's an observance, a practice called the razor's edge. And, it, and it's about um, a practitioner taking a gorgeous woman into, um, into his household and practicing non-ejaculation for X amount of time. And if, you, and if he were to make a mistake, it's 10,000 mantras and whatever. But it's this teeniest thing in the teeniest, tiniest, teeniest, teeniest branch of the tantra. And it has nothing to do with anything. And it's, and it's an observance. It's not a practice. So it's so interesting. How did we, how did we get here? How did, it, um, how did we kind of get to this place? The source of the tantric weirdness was from this guy named Pierre Bernard, who, who was an a early 20th century charlatan, essentially. His, he called himself ah. Om, Om the Omnipotent. And he was in San Francisco, <laughs> and he had some secondhand information from some guy from, from Bengal who had moved to Iowa, where Bernard was from. And um, it's a com- with a total lack of any original sources at all. He, he invented this kind of sex magic, and he, you know, he was kind of, you know, the, the wizard in the Wizard of Oz when he's in Kansas? He was yeah. kind of that guy going around talking about, you know, these this sexual magic and calling it Tantra, but it had nothing to do with it. So um, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing to talk about what, what at its basic level, what Tantra really is. And uh, in, in the general sense, Tantra, the word Tantra itself means a theory or doctrine. And there's uh, the idea in Tantric practice that, it was revealed by God or the goddess, and they're very liberal about both of those genders, um, about the 1600s and developed through the 1600s. And then it kind of went underground about the 1600s when, when uh, the Muslim conquest of India happened. And, and it, it kind of went underground and didn't further develop there. And what emerged from that was what we know now as modern postural yoga. Um, it was kind of the offshoot of Tantra going underground was, was modern postural yoga, what we see now with, with asana and breath work and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting how I got here through modern postural yoga. But in the background, just like that Superman power, the paradigm, you know, the yoga is kind of the Clark Kent, but the Tantra is the Superman that's been underneath it all the time. So mm-hmm. um, you very often hear Tantra um, also mis- misdescribed as loom, you know, a weaving together of things because we talk about the Tantra as non-duality. But mm-hmm. um, that's, actu- that's actually a Sanskrit homonym. Now I'm going to get a little technical. It's a homonym. So you know how bear and bear... Our homonyms, one means you're naked and one means you're a furry creature with claws. Yes. They, they sound the same. They look the same, but they're not the same word. So um, a tantra is a loom, but it's not the meaning of it in this context. Um, the, the first syllable, tan, 
Tantra means to elaborate on or expand. Mm. And tra is a root word in Sanskrit for to save or protect. So, huh. so a classical description, if you're, if you're a student of Christopher Wallace, to whom I give all the credit for this clarity, is um, Tantra is um, it's a practice that spreads wisdom that saves. And our modern mm. interpretation our modern interpretation could be uh, Tantra sort of stretches our awareness and our capacity for joy. That would be a more modern interpretation that would still be etymologically correct. Um, well, those, the few verses you read from the Radiant Sutras, they wrapped my world. And then I ordered the book as soon as I you know, got home from your yoga class and then I've been, I got it and I've been reading it aloud to my husband and my little daughter and they were giggling at me because they're, they're very roomy-like, you know, the, the Radiance Sutra yeah, is the one. Sure. They're, so, and they're very beautiful and there's a certain abstraction if you haven't already done a lot of meditation and spiritual work. Yes. And it would go very well with the idea that Tantra stretches our awareness and our capacity for joy. Those, mm-hmm. That's what the Radiant Sutras are all about. And, and thank you for bringing it up because it kind of brings me to this, this next clarification that, that Christopher Wallace makes so beautifully about there, there's two parts of Tantra, but they're not equal parts. That's the important part to know. Um, mukti is the greater part. It's that, sort of that freedom, release, liberation. It's the higher values of Tantra. And then there's bukti, which is where all our problems with tantric sex come from. The pleasure, power, you know, the tangible or um, material manifestation of good, that kind of stuff. It's definitely a part of it because we're human beings and we're having this sensual experience. We see, we hear, we taste, we touch. You know, we have these senses and they're not to be ignored. They're to be, to be embraced and used. But, but that's a kind of a... a a lower part of the Tantra and it never is meant to be used in a way that overshadows the idea of freedom and release and, um, and liberation. So we get into that trouble because of course, as humans, we, we tend to really focus on pleasure, power and material goods, you know, sex, <laughs> power, money. That's all oh, third, second, love. third tend- chakra, right? Yeah, there we are. We're there right there in that second and third chakra all the time. And, um, and Tantra, because it embraces everything, uh, doesn't want us to not look at that, but, we, but wants us to, look, to kind of use it as tools for our awareness. So if you remember in the sutra that I read, um, he, talking, she's asking, what is this amazing, the goddess is asking, what is this amazing, sparkling, shimmering, radiant reality that I see all around me? What is going on? What is this shimmering awareness? And Bhairava, her lover, replies to her, it is found in direct experience, such as the Mm -hmm. breath you are breathing now. You breathe in, and there's this incredible expansion. You breathe out, and there's that surety and groundedness. So right away in the Radiant Sutras, it's just just confirming. Just last night I read aloud... um, you are the instrument the breath is playing. And it blew my mind. Yeah. And I walked around saying it. My you husband are the and daughter instrument. were 
your the breath right. is playing. And I just went around going, oh, my God, my whole world has opened up in a new way. And my husband and daughter giggling at me. But it was so amazing. And it did expand my joy. It did. It did. It did expand your joy. And God bless in a thousand ways Lauren Roche for his gorgeous, gorgeous, endless work on this text and his translation of it, which is just sublime. And he continues to work on it. He continues to teach it. And, you know, uh, dot com. He's a wonderful, wonderful teacher and interpreter of this work. But what it allows for us is to be very human. So we're not supposed to be, you know, I, I love to say this a lot, Tracy. Nobody, nobody, the spiritual path does not ask us to put on a shabby diaper and climb up to a mountain in the Himalaya and hang out in a cave with a begging bowl and, and sit in some miserable position for the rest of our lives hoping for enlightenment. It's, it's such as the breath we are breathing now. We can experience that, that freedom, that release, that liberation through our pleasure and our tangible material experience. So um, just the thing we get in trouble with, and we see this in our, in our politics right now, in our economy, in, in, in the world unrest, we've let bukti overtake the mukti. Mm. We, have let, we have let faith and belief in things, thoughts that you think a lot of times, a lot of times, a lot of times, override the efficacy of the practice the practice is much more important than the thoughts and beliefs thing. Well, it's, it's, one thing. And this, and this goes back to what you said originally about the practices of kindness and love and those practices, just even if we don't believe them, sometimes it's hard to believe we can love somebody who is of a different faith, gender, color, blah, 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 blah. But we simply practice it anyway. The efficacy of practice is what matters. And the belief comes after that. We do the reverse in modern, uh, in the modern world. We're all into that bookie, 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 and that's the tantric sex and and uh, a book called Urban Tantra that just lends more to that. And that's become the definitive text of the tantra in for most moderns. And it, it overrides this idea of freedom, release, and liberation um, in in these mm-hmm. other daily practices. One thing I've noticed is that sexual energy and spiritual energy are the same energy one octave apart, like middle C and high C. Same note, yeah. one octave apart, and sexual energy. And I think that's why you see so much sexual acting out among great spiritual leaders, like the, like in the Roman, Holy Roman Catholic Church and in Bikram Chowdhury. You know, I, um, you hear about it all the time, these great spiritual leaders get they fall oh, yes. astray because I in my what I believe is that spiritual energy and sexual energy are exactly the same just an octave apart and then this goes back to the radiant sutras and those verses you were reading what I've been subsequently reading and I and something I've been trying to write about in the last few years is there is this juicy you know sensuous energy permeating everything and it is sensual Absolutely. and it is also sexual, and I think it's associated with the goddess, not with God, per se. I think there is that sensibility to it, and it's very um, juicy, um, but it's also very clean. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Well, and that goes back to a, a, a Hindu concept of Param Shiva, 
where, you know, Shiva is consciousness and that very still, deep, deep um, solidness. And Shakti is the energy. She's the one that makes things happen in her sensual and playful way. It's that divine feminine. So you've, you've hit the nail on the head. And I think that the way as mo- modern tantricas we can look at this is instead of looking at this kind of sloppy, sexy, tantra, poor, blah, blah, um, modern stuff that we're seeing a lot of, which is a kind of spiritualized sexuality, we, what, I, what, I, what I'd like to teach and where I'd like people to look and explore more and where I'm looking more is in a sensual and embodied spirituality. There's that difference. A sensual mm-hmm. and embodied spirituality versus a spiritualized sexuality. And, oh, can and I that's... quote something from your blog? Because I think this goes back sure. to it. You wrote this, and I loved it. I saw on your blog. In an era where we are obsessed with externals, beauty, youth, and money, and visual stimulation of every sort, we sort of gloss over the um, rather essential idea of foundation. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think anybody needs to be taught any more of the loop-de-doop-de, hoop-de-doo stuff. It's why I teach yoga the way I teach it, in a foundational way. And if you want to find advanced asana, there's plenty of advanced yoga to be found, postures where you can get both ankles around your neck and stand on your head and all that kind of stuff. I think what's missing is this, this really brilliant concept, again, out of Christopher Wallace's book about the efficacy of practice of coming down to foundations and getting into that place where we really know what we're doing from a foundational way, not a, not a, um, not a heavy way. We're still, we're still doing this with pleasure and we're still doing this powerfully, but in looking for our freedom and release and liberation, we're doing it from this grounded place where we're not uh, Shakti out of balance, energy flitting around and being nutty. And we're not, um, Shiva out of balance, too grounded, too much consciousness, too much ego. It's a combination and it's a good, and that's, of course, the non-duality of the Tantra right there, where we're, we're, making, we're making some balance. There's a wonderful uh, sutra in yoga that speaks about um, with steadiness and sweetness, we take our postures. Mm. And that's really important. When we're too steady, when we're too rigid in our postures, they actually physically hurt. And if, mm-hmm. um, and, and if we're too soft and too wombly, uh, they're also equally dangerous. It's the combination of, of strength and sweetness that makes yoga practice, uh, the practice of yogasana, really wonderful. Um, and if we take that and extrapolate it out to all of our lives, you know, we know the, the softy, gushy, woo-woo stuff, which is, to me, one of the downfalls of the kind of the profession I'm now in. Um, but we also know the dangers of dogma, the too strong. It's, it's uh-huh. that beautiful weaving in of both. Um, I guess we can give credit to those who interpret uh, Tantra as a loom. There's a, the weaving in. But of really looking for the balance, the not, bre- you know, breathing in isn't better than breathing out. Breathing out isn't better than breathing in. Breathe in because breathe out. Breathe out because breathe in. Steady because soft. Soft because steady. You know, those, that's the way we start to look at things in this non-dual way, and it's, it's very liberating. 
Well, we have about 10, 12 minutes left. Can you summarize, you've had this fascinating life story. Can you summarize some of the more important points of what you've learned along this journey? Well, I think the most important thing ever is to just remain curious. Uh, to remain curious, and the second most important thing is, is what I said earlier, is that everything is always working out for us. Um, I get asked the question a lot, you know, is the world better now than it was before? You know, there's a, there's a um, I think there's a new slogan out in the politics. There's a candidate who's running for president who says, make America great again which <laughs> indicates a going back to something, right? We are so much better off as a universe now than we've ever been. The expansion has been fantastic. So understanding that if we keep curious and keep looking ahead, everything is always working out for us. Tracy, I grew up at a time where um, there was segregation still. People were being beaten in the street and... Um, my gay friends were in the closet forever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to know this expansion now, to understand uh, unheard of a black president, um, equality in marriage, uh, these kinds of expansion are incredible. And it doesn't mean that I'm I'm, I'm, uh, woo-woo not looking at what's not going on well in the world. There are definitely very, very tragic and difficult things happening. But focusing on what we want instead of what we don't want, keeping curious, understanding that everything is working out for us, and understanding that the Tantra is, at, is, is in, in fact, at, at work. You know, we have, we, we have this incredible expansion of our awareness and capacity for joy that's available. Um, it's a it's here for us to, to keep working. Uh, and, and actually, I don't want to use the word working. I want to use the word playing, you know, mm. keep getting curious and being playful about our expansion, keeping open and, um, and moving forward. I come, I come from very closed down roots. Um, I actually am a direct matrilineal descendant of Sarah Wilde, who was one of the women accused of witchcraft and hung at, at Salem. Oh, my goodness. And, and it's a, mine is a very, you know, a very uh, highly thought of family that founded Massachusetts, and, and still this was this happening. This was a very closed way. This, these are my roots. Everything has to be one way or you, you know, our way or the highway. And, mm-hmm. and if, we rec- if we recognize when we're saying that, when we recognize in our judgment, which is constant, our, this is my way or the highway, this is my way or the highway, when we start to recognize that and open up, get curious, understand that everything is always working out for us, including those challenging things that are put in front of us, we're, we're going to stop hanging people. We're going to stop burning people at the stake. We're going to stop doing that figuratively and literally. And uh, our expansion as a species, there's no limit. It's, it, it's a kind of a, a bliss that's coming toward us. And it's coming hard and fast. 25 years ago, <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't have this conversation. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have this conversation at Harvard, you know, 25, 25 years ago. But now 
uh, with, you know, wonderful programs like this one you're offering, people are having this conversation. People are having this conversation over a glass of wine. They're having it on television. When you look at the level of consciousness, even, even in day-to-day world, people are talking about uh, my local bank is using a woman in, in tree pose as an advertisement. That's you know, cool. It's it's coming. It's coming. It's here. It's happening. And everything is always working out for us. We're, we're, we only have about five minutes left, but can you talk about Dharma coaching? I see that you do that. What is it and um, what will people benefit? How will they benefit if they do it with you? Well, Dharma is the path. And um, and I, I coach people back onto their path or to find their path if they think they never found it. Everybody's always been on their path all along and it's been the perfect path. So I help, I help people discover that. And then through a process of, it, it has to come from exactly what you said, what you picked up in the Radiant Sutras. It has to come from direct life experience. And my job as a Dharma coach is basically just to point out how their direct life experience has brought them to the perfect point exactly right here and right now, and now what, you know? And the fun of exploring now what is just a gas. I have the most wonderful clients. They do wonderful, amazing things. Uh, They are incredible people, and they become increasingly more incredible people. So uh, Dharma coaching is is great. It's a little different than life coaching. I'm I'm lucky to be trained by um, the... uh, the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. It's a really great school. But I don't life coach per se in that same way. It's more of a spiritual path. Um, once you've found your spiritual path, your career, your mate, your all that other stuff, that just, that's just uh, sugar, on the, sugar on the cake. That's, that's icing. That's extra. Mm-hmm. That's uh, mm-hmm. sprinkle, sprinkles and whipped cream and cherry. Once you find yourself where you are and what your awareness is, all the rest of it falls in place. But I've been doing that for about five years now, and it's just super, super fun. And um, the combination of yoga and that type of coaching, is a, is a, those are powerful tools, powerful tools for well-being. And people can go to your website, dharmacoach.com, to find out more about it? They can, and they can um, just email the info at dharmacoach.com email address and make an inquiry, and we get back to everybody within about 24 hours. And um, the first session, we explore together for about 20 minutes, and that's a complimentary session. And then we see if it's going to be good to work together, and, uh, and we go from there. And what do you have coming up? Like what's, what's coming up for your own events that you're offering to people? I'm just about to do a three-hour workshop. Um, we've touched on it a little bit here on uh, yoga, tantra, and the law of attraction. And that will be uh, the last weekend in July. It's a Sunday afternoon for three hours. I think I'm, I'll, I'll have to talk to my web guide. I think it went up today. Um, and then there is a teacher training, 200-hour launching in uh, January 2016, and then uh, January 2017, excuse me, and then a 300-hour launching just after that, which is a 300-hour uh, Yoga Alliance certified yoga teacher training. And I, 
obviously everybody learns to be a yoga teacher, but it's from this Tantra Dharma. That's the base. Mm-hmm. Um, the philosophy behind it um, is very much what you and I have just been having this fun conversation about. So those are the things that are coming up, and they're all on the website, and uh, I'd be really happy to hear from anybody. Um, where uh, I, I like to respond. There's also, also Dharma Coach on Facebook, mm. um, which po- and posts what do you, all kinds of things. What do you do in your spare time, and what are some fun facts people might not know about you? Oh, fun facts. Um, well, um, I love to garden. I love to ride horses. I do that a lot. Um, I love to spend time with my two incredibly fabulous kids who are so, so fun. Um, I don't know if it's a fun fact, but I think an interesting fact is that I am a direct matrilineal descendant of Sarah Wilde, and I actually uh, restored her house and lived in it and raised my kids in it for 20 years, which was the most oh amazing, amazing thing. Yeah, cool. and I think another really fun fact about me is I am second cousin once removed to Buffalo Bill Cody. <laughs> That's cool. You're a real American. <laughs> I'm a I'm a real American, real American, and um, and so I and I love America, and I hope I hope that we can through all this contrast that we're creating in this election cycle that we can create something really amazing. I'm pretty sure we will because everything is always working out for us. Right, Tracy? I, I hope so. <laughs> I, I, it's like watching a carnival right now. It's like watching a carnival. Exactly. That's a great attitude well, to take. Well, this has been amazing. I have like literally 30 more questions I didn't get to ask you, so maybe we'll have you on the show again. So thank you for being on the show. I'd I really love to come it. again. You have it any final so much words? fun. Oh, good. Do you have any final words um, of wisdom for the listeners? Um, judge less, love more. I think that's it. Judge less, love more. I love it. That's a Kat, pretty good thanks. one. Can't go wrong with that's that. Great. No. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Stacey, it was a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. So, listeners, that was the amazing Cat Whitney saying judge less, love more, and talking about Tantra and consciousness and Um, That was a pretty awesome show. So I hope you enjoyed listening to her. And um, I'd like to encourage listeners to go to dharmacoach.com, and that's D-H-A-R-M-A-C-O-A-C-H, Dharma Coach, to learn more about Kat Whitney. And to everyone who's listening, thanks so much for joining us. Please keep tuning in. I don't have a set schedule because it's a pretty fluid summer for me, but there will be lots of shows. So thanks for tuning in and talk to you soon. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.